This is a reading of the account of the martyrs of Lyon and Vienne in the year 177 A.D. This martyrdom is told in the form of a letter sent from the church in Vienne and Lyon to the churches in Asia and Phrygia. Before I start reading, I'm going to share a few points that may help you better understand the account. To skip to the beginning of the letter, reference the timestamps in the podcast or YouTube description box. This recording is available as both a YouTube video and a podcast. The name of both the YouTube channel and the podcast is Revealed Name. Thank you for listening. The few points I want to share before I start my reading are these. This martyrdom is an account of the deaths of several devout Christians in the first century A.D. At this time in history, Christians were persecuted. They were accused of being atheists, incestuous, and cannibalistic. These martyrs were from the cities of Lyon and Vienne, which are modern French cities known by the same names, Lyon and Vienne. This martyrdom is rather graphic and disturbing because the ways in which they were tortured are shared in detail. One word that pops up that I didn't know when I first read this account is the word proto-martyr. Proto-martyr is the first martyr. So when you hear the word proto-martyrs, that means the first martyrs. You'll also hear the term miscarried martyrs. Miscarried martyrs are the ones who went up to be martyred, and then they were afraid and did not profess their faith as Christians, and so were not martyrs, after all. Two other terms that come up are Thyestean banquets and Edopian unions. Thyestean banquets refers to the accusation that they were cannibals, specifically eating their children, and Edopian unions refers to uh, the accusation that they were incestuous. Thank you for listening. I'll now start the reading. The servants of Christ dwelling in Vienne and Lyon, to the brethren in Asia and Phrygia, who have the same faith as we in redemption, and the same hope, peace, and grace, and glory from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The greatness of the tribulation here, and the exceeding wrath of the heathen against the saints, and all that the blessed martyrs suffered, neither are we capable of describing accurately, nor can it be compassed in writing. For the adversary fell upon us with all his strength, making already a prelude to his coming in full force hereafter, and went to all lengths, practicing and training his own against the servants of God, so that not only were we banished from houses and baths and marketplaces, but it was forbidden for any of us to be seen at all in any place whatsoever. But the grace of God took the field against him, and protected the weak, and ranged on the other side steadfast pillars, able through their endurance to draw on themselves all the onset of the evil one, who also closed with him, bearing all kinds of reproach and torment who also, counting great things as small, made haste toward Christ, showing in very truth that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And in the first place they endured nobly what the crowd in general heaped upon them, 
taunts, blows, hailings, robberies, stone-throwings, beleaguerings, and all else that a furious multitude inflicts on private and public enemies. And then they were brought into the marketplace by the tribune of the soldiers and the magistrates of the city, and after being examined in the presence of the whole multitude and making their confession, were shut up in prison until the arrival of the governor. Afterwards they were brought before the governor, and he was showing all the usual cruelty towards us. Now among the brethren was Vettius Epagathus, one filled with the fullness of love towards God and his neighbor, whose conversation had been so rightly ordered that though young he did not fall below the witness borne to old Zacharias. He had indeed walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless, and untiring in all service towards his neighbor, having great zeal for God and fervent in the Spirit. He being of this sort did not suffer the judgment so unreasonably being passed against us, but was indignant on our behalf, and claimed to be heard himself, pleading in defense of the brethren, that there was nothing godless or impious about us. When those about the tribunal shouted him down, for he was a man of mark, and the governor did not allow the just claim he put forward, but asked no more than this, whether he too were a Christian, he confessed in a loud voice, and was added to the company of the martyrs. And he was styled as the advocate of the Christians, having indeed the advocate in himself, even the spirit of Zacharias, which he showed through the fullness of his love, being well pleased even to lay down his own life for the defense of the brethren. For he was and is a true disciple of Christ, following the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. After this the rest were divided. Some were proto-martyrs, manifest and ready, who with all zeal fulfilled their confession even unto martyrdom, then too were manifested the unready, untrained, and still feeble, unable to bear the strain of a great contest. Of these about ten in number miscarried, who also wrought in us great sorrow and grief immeasurable, but checked the zeal of those that had not yet been taken, but, in spite of all sorts of dreadful sufferings, nevertheless accompanied the martyrs and refused to leave them. Then we were all greatly distraught from uncertainty about the confession, not from fear of the torments that were coming upon us, but from looking to the end and dreading lest some should fall away. There were taken, however, day by day those who were worthy, and these filled up their number, so that there were gathered from the two churches all persons of merit by whom more particularly affairs had been ordered here. There were taken, too, certain pagan slaves of ours, since the governor had given public orders for all of us to be sought out. These, by the lying in wait of Satan, in fear of the tortures which they saw the saints suffering, and urged thereto by the soldiers, falsely charged us with Thyestean banquets and Edopian unions, and with other crimes which we are not permitted to mention or imagine, or even to believe that such things ever happened among men. On the spread of these reports, all were like wild beasts against us, so that some who had formerly behaved with moderation, out of friendship, were then greatly enraged and gnashed their teeth at us. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by our Lord, that there should come a time when whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service.
After this, the holy martyrs endured tortures beyond all telling, Satan being desirous that some blasphemous word should escape their lips also. Beyond measure, all the fury of crowd and governor and soldiers fell on Sanctus, the deacon from Vienne, and on Martyrus, newly baptized but a noble combatant, and on Attalus, a native of Pergamus, who had always been a pillar and a stay of the people here, and on Blandina, through whom Christ made manifest that what things appear paltry and uncomely and contemptible are accounted of great honor with God. For their love to him, which does not glory in appearance, but is shown in power. For when we were all in fear, and her mistress according to the flesh, herself a combatant among the martyrs, was in agony, lest Blandina should not be able from weakness of body even to make her confession boldly, she was filled with so much power that even those who tortured her in relays in every way from morning until evening were faint and weary. Indeed, they themselves confessed that they were beaten, having no longer any more that they might do to her, wondering that she remained alive, all her body being broken and torn, and testifying that one kind of torture, let alone so many and so grievous, was enough to release her soul. But the blessed woman, as a noble athlete, renewed her strength in her confession, and it was refreshment and peace and freedom from pain amid her sufferings to repeat. I am a Christian, and there is no evil done among us. And Sanctus, too, endured nobly beyond all measure and all human patience, all outrages at the hands of men. And when the wicked hoped that because of the continuance and severity of the tortures, something unseemly would be heard from him, with such constancy did he range himself against them that he uttered not his own name, nor the name of the nation or city whence he came, nor whether he were bond or free, but to all questions answered in the Latin tongue, I am a Christian. This he confessed repeatedly to serve for name and city and race and everything, and the heathen heard from him no other word. Whence there arose great rivalry in the governor and the tormentors against him, so that when they had nothing more that they could do to him, at the last they applied red-hot brazen plates to the most tender parts of his body. And these indeed were burned, but he himself continued unbent and unyielding, stout in his confession, bedewed and strengthened by the heavenly fountain of the water of life, issuing from the belly of the Christ. His poor body was witness to his sufferings, for it was nothing but wound and weal, bent double and robbed of the outward form of humanity, his body wherein Christ suffered and wrought great wonders, destroying the adversary and showing us a pattern to the rest, that there is nothing terrible where there is love of the Father, nothing painful where the glory of Christ. For when the wicked some days later tortured the martyr again, and thought that his body being swollen and inflamed if they applied the same torments they would overcome him, since he could not bear even a touch of the hand, or that by dying under torture he would frighten the rest, nothing of the sort happened in his case. Nay, more, beyond all human imagining, his poor body revived, and was restored in the later trial, and recovered its former appearance and the use of the limbs, 
so that the second torture became to him, through the grace of Christ, not a torment, but a cure. Moreover, there was a certain Biblios, one of these who had denied the faith, and the devil, who thought that he had already devoured her, wishing to damn her by blasphemy as well, brought her to torture, that he might force her to say impious things about us, being to start with frail and timid. But she, while she was being tortured, returned to her sober mind and woke, as it were, from a deep slumber, being reminded by her temporal punishment of the eternal torment in hell, and directly contradicted the blasphemers, saying, How can those eat children who are forbidden to eat the blood even of brute beasts? And from this moment she confessed herself a Christian and was added to the company of the martyrs. When the tyrant's cruelties were made of none effect by Christ through the patience of the martyrs, the devil set about contriving other devices, shutting them up in darkness in the foulest parts of the prison, stretching their feet, strained to the fifth hole in the stocks, with the other outrages which attendants angry and full of the devil besides are wont to inflict on prisoners, so that most of them were suffocated in the prison, as many as the Lord, manifesting forth his glory, wished so to pass away. For some, after being so cruelly tormented that it did not seem as if they could live any longer, even if every attention were given them, lingered on in prison, destitute of all human care, but confirmed by the Lord, and strengthened in body and soul, encouraging and consoling the rest. Others, young and lately taken, whose bodies had not been already inured to torture, were unable to bear the burden of confinement, and died there. Blessed Pothinus, who had been entrusted with the charge of the bishopric in Lyon, being over ninety years of age and very sick in body, scarcely breathing from the sickness aforesaid, but strengthened by zeal of the spirit from his vehement desire for martyrdom, was dragged with the others on to the tribunal, his body fainting with old age and disease, but his soul sustained within him, that thereby Christ might triumph. He was conveyed by the soldiers onto the tribunal, accompanied by the magistrates of the city and the whole multitude who cried this and that, accusing him of being also one of Christ's followers, and he witnessed a good confession. Being questioned by the governor, Who was the God of the Christians? He answered, If you are worthy, you shall know. After this he was hustled without mercy, and suffered hurts of all kinds. For those who were close showed him all manner of insolence with hand and foot, not reverencing his years, and those at a distance hurled at him anything each might have ready, all deeming that anyone was guilty of great offense and impiety who was behind hand in brutality towards him. For they thought in this way to avenge their gods. So he was cast, scarcely breathing, into the prison, and after two days expired. And here took place a great dispensation of God, and there was manifested in the immeasurable mercy of Christ, after a fashion rarely known among the brotherhood, but worthy of Christ's devising. For those who, when first taken, denied the faith were imprisoned like the rest and shared their sufferings. For their denial was of no profit to them at all at that time, since those who confessed to be what indeed they were, were imprisoned as Christians, having no other charge brought against them while the others, 
were detained as murderers and villains, being punished twice as hardly as the rest. For those were comforted by the joy of their martyrdom, and the hope of the promises, and by love towards Christ, and the Spirit of the Father, whereas these were greatly tormented by their conscience, so that as they passed they were easily distinguished by their looks from all the rest. For those advanced full of joy, having in their looks a mingling of majesty and great beauty, so that even their chains were worn by them as a comely ornament, as for a bride adorned with fringed raiment of gold richly wrought, exhaling at the same time the sweet savour of Christ, so that some thought they had been anointed with perfume of this world, but these, downcast, dejected, ill-favoured, full of all unseemliness, taunted beside by the heathen as base and cowardly, bearing the reproach of murderers, but having lost their universally honourable and glorious and life-giving name. The rest, seeing this, were strengthened, and those who were taken afterwards made their confession undoubtingly, giving not so much as a thought to the devil's arguments. After this their martyrdoms were parcelled into deaths of all sorts. For, braiding one crown of different colours and all kinds of flowers, they offered it to the Father. It was needful indeed that the noble athletes should endure a manifold conflict and win a great victory before they received the great crown of immortality. Maturus, then, and Sanctus, and Blandina, and Attalus, were taken into the amphitheatre to the beasts, to give the heathen a public spectacle of cruelty, a special day being appointed, because of our brothers for a fight with beasts. And Maturus and Sanctus again went in the amphitheatre through every form of torture, as though they had suffered nothing at all before, or rather as having overcome the adversary already in many bouts, and contending now for the final crown of victory, they bore the usual running of the gauntlet of whips, and the mauling by the beasts, and everything else that the maddened people on this side or on that clamoured for and demanded, and on the top of all the iron chair, whereon their bodies were roasted, and filled with the savour the nostrils of the people. But they did not rest even so, but were more mad than ever in their desire to overcome the martyr's endurance. Yet not even then did they hear from Sanctus aught else save the word of his confession he had been wont to utter from the beginning. These then, after their spirits had long held out through a great contest, when in place of all the diversity of single combats they had been throughout that day a spectacle to the world, were offered up at last. But Blandina was exposed, hung on a stake, to be the food of the beasts let loose on her. Alike by the sight of her hanging in the form of a cross, and by her earnest prayer, she put much heart in the combatants, for they saw during the contest, even with the eyes of flesh, in the person of their sister, him who was crucified for them, to assure those who believed in him, that every one who suffereth for the glory of Christ hath forever fellowship with the living God. And as none of the beasts at that time touched her, she was taken down from the stake and brought back again to the prison to await another contest, that having won in so many trials, she might make that crooked serpent's condemnation irreversible and inspire her brethren she, the little, the weak, the contemptible, who had put on Christ 
the great and invincible athlete, and had worsted in many bouts the adversary, and through conflict crowned herself with the crown of immortality. Attalus, too, being loudly called for by the crowd, for he was a man of repute, entered the arena as a combatant well prepared by his good conscience, for he was soundly trained in the Christian discipline, and had ever been a witness to truth amongst us. He was being led around the amphitheater with a placard preceding him, on which was written in Latin, This is Attalus the Christian, the people being violently inflamed against him, when the governor, learning that he was a Roman citizen, ordered him to be remanded with the rest that were in the prison, and having written a dispatch to Caesar concerning them, waited his sentence. The interval was not idle nor unfruitful to them, but through their patience was made manifest the immeasurable mercy of Christ. For the dead were made alive through the living, and martyrs showed kindness to those who were not martyrs. And there was much joy in the heart of the Virgin Mother in recovering alive those untimely births she had cast forth as dead. For through them the most part of those who had denied the faith entered again into their mother's womb, and were conceived again, and quickened again, and learned to make their confession, and, alive already embraced, came to the tribunal. For he who hath no pleasure in the death of the wicked made sweet their bitterness, and God was gracious to them unto repentance, that they might again be questioned by the governor. For the command of Caesar was that these should be beheaded, but that those who denied the faith should be set free. So as it was the beginning of the festival here, it is thronged by an assemblage of all peoples, the governor brought the blessed ones to the tribunal, making a gazing stock and a show of them to the multitude. Therefore he examined them again, and beheaded those who appeared to possess Roman citizenship, and sent the rest to the beasts. And Christ was greatly glorified in those who had formerly denied the faith, but then contrary to the expectation of the heathen, made their confession. For they were privately examined, with the intent they should be set free, and confessing were added to the company of the martyrs. There remained outside those who had never had even a vestige of the faith, nor any knowledge of the wedding garment, nor any thought of the fear of God, but through their conversation blasphemed the way, that is, the sons of perdition. All the rest were added to the church. As they were being examined, a certain Alexander, Phrygian by birth, doctor by profession, who had spent many years in the Gauls, and was known to almost all for his love of God and his boldness in preaching the word, for he was not without a share in the apostolic gift, was standing by the tribunal and urging them by signs to confession, and so became manifest to those surrounding the tribunal as one in travail. The multitude, angered at the renewed confession of those who had formerly denied the faith, clamored against Alexander as the cause of this, so when the governor had ordered him to be set before him, and asked him who he was, Alexander said, A Christian. The governor in anger condemned him to the beasts, and on the next day he entered the arena with Attalus. For to gratify the people the governor had given Attalus also to the beasts for the second time. 
and when they had gone through all the instruments devised for torture in the amphitheatre, and had endured a contest very great, they were also offered up at last. Alexander indeed neither groaned nor uttered any sound at all, but communed in his heart with God. But Attalus, when he had been placed in the iron chair, and was burning everywhere, as the savour from his body was rising upward, said to the multitude in the Latin tongue, Lo, as for eating of men, this is what you yourselves do, but we neither eat men nor work any other wickedness. And being asked what was the name of God, he answered, God hath no name as man hath. After all these on the last day of the single combats, Blandina was again brought in with Ponticus, a boy of about fifteen. They had also been led in daily to look upon the torture of the rest, and their enemies would fain have forced them to swear by their idols. But because they continued steadfast and made naught of them, the multitude was enraged against them, so that they neither pitied the age of the boy nor reverenced the sex of the woman. They exposed them to every torture. They made them pass through every torment in turn, again and again constraining them to swear, but unable to achieve their purpose. For Ponticus, encouraged by his sister, that even the heathen saw that she was exhorting and strengthening him, after nobly enduring every torment, gave up the ghost. The blessed Blandina, last of all, like a noble mother that has encouraged her children, and sent them before her, crowned with victory to the king, retracing herself also all her children's battles, hastened towards them, rejoicing and triumphing in her departure, as though she were called to a marriage supper, instead of being cast to the beasts. After the whips, after the beasts, after the frying pan, she was thrown at last into a net, and cast before a bull and after being tossed for some long time by the beast, having no further sense of what was happening, because of her hope and hold on the things she had believed, and because of her communing with Christ, she was herself also offered up, the very heathen confessing that they had never known a woman endure so many and so great sufferings. But not even so were their madness and savagery towards the saints appeased. For wild and barbarous people stirred up by that wild beast were hard to satisfy, and their cruelty found another and peculiar outlet upon the bodies of the dead. For because they lacked human reason, their defeat did not shame them, rather it fired their beast-like fury, both governor and people showing towards us the same undeserved hatred that the scripture might be fulfilled. He that is wicked, let him do wickedly still, and he that is righteous, let him do righteousness still. For those that were suffocated in the prison they threw to the dogs, watching carefully night and day, lest we should give any of them burial. After that they exposed what the beasts and the fire had left, part torn, part charred, and the heads of the rest with the trunks. These likewise they left unburied and watched them for many days with a guard of soldiers. Some raged and gnashed their teeth at the dead, seeking to take some more exquisite revenge upon them. Others laughed and mocked, magnifying at the same time their idols, and attributing to them the punishment of the martyrs. 
Others, again, who were more reasonable and seemed to have some degree of feeling for us, reproached us, repeating, Where is their God? And how did their religion, which they have preferred even to their lives, profit them? On their side, such were the varieties of behavior. On ours, there was a great sorrow, because we could not bestow the bodies in the earth. For night did not help us towards this, nor money persuade, nor prayer shame. But they watched every way, as though they would derive some great profit from the martyr's loss of burial. So the bodies of the martyrs, after being subjected to all kinds of contumely and exposed for six days, were then burnt and reduced to ashes by the impious, and swept into the river Rhone, which flows hard by, that not a fragment of them might be left on earth. And they planned this, as though they could get the better of God, and rob them of the other life, that, in their own words, they may have no hope of resurrection, trusting in which they introduce among us a strange and new religion, and despise tortures, going readily and with joy to death. Let us see now whether they will rise again, and whether their God can help them and deliver them from our hands. So completely did they emulate and imitate Christ, who, being in the form of God, thought it was not a prize to be on an equality with God, that, though they had reached such a height of glory, and had borne witness not once nor twice but often, and had been brought back alive from the beasts, bearing about them burns and wheels and wounds, they neither proclaimed themselves to be martyrs, nor suffered us to address them by that name. But if ever any one of us by letter or by word of mouth called them martyrs, they rebuked him sharply. For they gladly yielded the title of martyr to Christ, the faithful and true witness and first begotten of the dead and prince of the life of God. And they remembered the martyrs already departed and said, they are already martyrs whom Christ thought worthy to be taken up in the hour of their confession, having sealed their witness by their death, but we are ordinary humble confessors. And with tears they exhorted the brethren, beseeching them that earnest prayer might be offered for them to be made perfect. And though they showed the power of martyrdom indeed, speaking with much boldness to all the heathen, and made manifest their nobleness by the patience and fearlessness and fortitude. Yet they begged not to be given the title of martyr among the brethren, being filled with the fear of God. They humbled themselves under the mighty hand, by which they have now been greatly exalted. Then, however, they gave a reason for their faith to all, but accused none. They loosed all, but bound none, and prayed for those who cruelly used them as did Stephen, the perfect martyr. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And if he prayed for those who stoned him, how much more for the brethren. This, on account of the sincerity of their love, was the greatest of all their contests with the devil, that the beast, being throttled, might disgorge alive those whom he at first thought to have devoured for they did not boast themselves against the fallen, but wherein they themselves abounded, gave to those that lacked, having a mother's tender mercy, and shedding many tears on their behalf unto the Father. They asked for life, and he gave it to them, which they shared with their neighbors, and departed to God always victorious.
having loved peace ever, and ever commended peace to us, they went in peace to God, leaving no sorrow to their mother, nor strife and war to their brethren, but joy and peace and concord and love. <laughs>